So welcome to the podcast, Kyle and Mike. How are you guys? Doing great. How are you guys? Yeah, we're really good. good. We're really good. We're just talking about the fact that we've got snow in the ground, you've got snow on the ground, but it's probably a little bit thicker where you guys are. Rare to have snow in England. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. We've had a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think Kyle had a bad week of the snow. I'm, I'm out in Colorado, so it's kind of hit or miss out here. I mean, we'll get a foot of snow and there'll be 70 degrees the next day and the golf courses will be open, just plow snow off the fairway. So it's kind of fun out here. <laughs> I like the sound of that. I need to see some pictures of that. So look, guys, thanks so much for jumping on. It's, it's awesome. I mean, obviously, we love you guys and we spent a, quite a bit of time with you now. And we actually just talking about the first podcast we did with you probably about two and a half years ago now. And we definitely mm-hmm. want to talk on some of the things that you've learned in the last two and a half years, because I'm sure you've learned a stack of stuff. But just for the people who don't know what super speed is, what is super speed and what is overspeed training and how does it work? Yeah, I mean, super speed golf is a very simple system of three different clubs. One that's about 20% lighter than the driver, one's 10% lighter and one's 5% heavier. And that little kit we use with overspeed training, which is really just all about making that player's body move faster than normal during the golf swing in order to permanently increase their swing speed. Another way to put that that's really, I think, more simple is it's like taking the governor off the engine of the car and allowing that player to um, access speed that their body was already capable of producing. And for whatever reason, their brain had just kind of turned off. I think a, a good way to put this for the audience is uh, people have seen track and field use this for a very long time, as well as baseball players. So I think those sports have been ahead of the, the game with all the other sports and running up and downhill, towing harnesses or being pulled by something in the track and field sports. And then baseball, the classic donut on the baseball bat or throwing lighter and heavier balls. So we tried to really take those concepts and fine tune them for the golf swing with the specific weights Mike uh, mentioned and make sure that those are effectively increasing speed without negatively harming mechanics and other things to, uh, to maintain all the other good stuff that, that uh, we teach in the golf swing. Yeah, it's, it's a good point about affecting mechanics and things like that. We'll get to that at some point throughout this podcast for sure. But what, what does the, so for those who are listening, what does the training entail? What does it look like? Yeah, it doesn't take very long, which I think is one of the most important factors about, you know, the training. The protocols take about five to eight minutes to go through um, after a good warm up. Um, You know, it's fun. You get out on the range. I know you guys have been doing it, too. So you can kind of talk about how fun it is on the range. But I mean, it's really getting out there and learning to be athletic, making your body move as fast as you can when you're making these golf swings. And then we also make you do that on your non-dominant side, which is pretty cool, but also adds a lot of, you know, really cool coordination and some other really, I would say, neat biomechanical advantages to, to helping your regular golf swing. But yeah, it's, it's really working through those clubs, the light one, then the medium one, then the heavy one, with just a few reps each time, maxing it out on every single one. And then as you go, we get more and more complicated with the protocol uh, drills. So the drills actually require more coordination um, and they become a little bit more intense as far as helping to increase all those big pieces like ground reaction force and sequencing and wrist mechanics and lying, all of that. I like the way you said about these, uh, it's really cool doing it non-dominance. If you saw the videos of me doing the left-handed swings, you would not say they were cool. <laughs> Anything but. They're not cool right-handed, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair. Well, it's interesting. Your non-dominant though. swings always get the like best social media response though, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
That's the main reason we have them in there. Yeah, yeah, they don't, even, they don't <laughs> actually make a difference. <laughs> what, what does the research and the science say about non-dominant? Why is that important? Oh, wow. Man, we could, you, how long we got on this podcast? <laughs> like three days? Um, man, there's a lot of big things. I'll let Kyle, Kyle talk about some of the like health benefits here in a sec. But I mean, just from a golf swing perspective, look, the lead side of your golf swing is incredibly important to power generation in your swing. So if you look at a right-handed player, that's their left side. The left side of their body really provides a lot of the stability and the, the ability for your body to stabilize a lot of this rotational force and energy that's going through your body in your golf swing. And if those muscles aren't firing efficiently, if they're not um, you know, really kind of tuned in and, and working well and strong and active, you're not going to get optimal transfer of rotational speed up the chain in your golf swing. So one of the best ways we've found to increase that is by making that player swing on the non-dominant side, because when a right-handed golfer swings left-handed, they have to load into that left side of their body. So that process of backswing and learning the coordination of what it feels like activates a ton of different musculature in that left side of that player's body that then when they go back to the dominant side is able to increase that stabilization effect and transfer more energy up the chain. And I mean, we've seen this directly on, uh, we've done a good bit of research on, on uh, KVEST, looking at just the, the differences in, in segmental rotational velocity after doing non-dominant swings, and also looking at essentially how efficiently those segments can decelerate. And that would immediately tell me that, that that's able to stabilize better because it can stop that rotation in the lower segment and allow that rotation to go up the chain into the, into the higher segments. And we've seen huge results in, in those type of studies. And we got some more coming out this year that we're excited about. And Kyle, I think you know the, the health and wellness benefits of it are also immense, right? Yeah, one of the big things we want to make sure is um... We're obviously increasing speed. What we're trying to avoid uh, providing more stress to the body that would injure that player. Um, we are making as aggressive as possible type of swing, especially through the impact zone. Uh, granted, we're not hitting the ground, but it's still a stress to the body. So, if that player is not, you know, doing something in the gym or doesn't have some more specific stuff, which a lot of players we're going to be using our system are, we want to make sure that we can offset some of that stress. And we found that the non-dominant swings really can help that. So. In the golf swing, we get a lot of the, if you're a right-handed player, a lot of rotation hard to your left. So your right side of your body, uh, the rib cage, the back of the spine, the pelvis, um, take a lot of beating there in terms of what they need to do to accelerate, as well as those muscles start to really kind of build up. You may notice at home that the right side of your body may look bigger actually than the left side of your body. And there's some debate as to, you know, is that good or is that bad? I, I saw an example recently of Rafael Nadal. You guys probably know his left arm is massive compared to his right arm. And would he be any better, different if his arms were balanced? Um, that's a little bit of debate. But on, on our side, we've definitely seen that it really helps to start to accelerate the other way. So your left side starts to really start to accelerate if you're a right-handed player. And those players tend to feel a lot better um, if they're doing the training three times a week as we recommend yeah, and you look at yeah, I mean, we used to even at, at our academy, we used to just before we even had super speed and it, before it was in existence, if we had players that had like that little nagging amount of lower back pain after, you know, five, six holes, we'd always tell them, you know, grab a seven iron, make some swings on the non-dominant yeah. side. And a lot of times that could relieve some of that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at what um, I think DJ posted something 
recently where he was hitting left-handed and he was still getting up to like 180 ball speed. And, you know, it just shows, doesn't it, that the power of being able to do both sides. And obviously he's just someone with immense speed and, and can notch it up a level. I suppose one question that the listeners will be, at, will be thinking now is what sort of gains can they be getting that, they, that can they expect to see? Let's say somebody who's not really done this before, what sort of gains can they expect to see and how long um, does it take for them to notice these gains? Yeah, so uh, that first protocol that uh, you've done, Piers, and now you're in your second one, the traditional uh, gain we see is about a 5% increase for all populations on average, except for your junior players. We'll see a little bit more. Um, we've had this for seven years. We've seen it really consistently, so we're pretty confident in that number. And then, uh, you know, 5% could be five miles an hour if you're starting at 100 miles an hour. So just for all the listeners at 2.5 yards per every mile per hour, if all things are equal. And that can be even more if you maximize your launch conditions with, you know, um, uh, with attack angle, with uh, impact locations, mass factor, that type of thing. So it's a, it's a significant gain with a 5% increase. And then on that second protocol, we often see another three and a half percent to 4%, which is another eight weeks we recommend. And then after that, the gains keep going, they're a little more incremental and it just depends on how the player is, where they start athletically or, or genetically, and then uh, what the protocols start to look like because they individualize a little bit more after the second protocol. But the first two protocols are when you're going to see the biggest bang for your buck, especially if you've never done this type of training before, which most people have ne never done direct speed training. Rarely do we get a player that's actually done that. I'm yeah, a bit worried now because this is going to be 8% faster than me. I don't, well, actually he's going to be 8% more. He still won't be faster no, no, no. than me. No, 8% more means actually 15% more. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it happens in cycles though. I think is what Kyle's trying to say. That's really important is that yeah. you're going to see a 5% jump in speed. Usually after the very first time you do the training, the very first session, it's just not going to be permanent yet. So then it takes about six to eight weeks of regular training for that to become permanent. At that point, you enter somewhat of a plateau phase for a little while. And then if you keep doing the training straight through, usually somewhere around the fourth to sixth month of the training, you're going to see that three and a half to 4% jump. And then theoretically, that pattern of jump kind of normalization phase is what we call it. And then plateau happens forever. It's just the jumps get smaller and there's more time in between them. Yeah. I think the one thing to just, I suppose, let the... Uh to make the listeners aware to this is we're not saying that you need to step on the first tee and, and swing it as hard as you can. What we're hoping to do is just raise, raise that base level. So when you do this training, you step on and your base level is at a higher rate, isn't it? They don't have to stand but on that. What we want to see that. is that, well, number one, we want players to work more athletically in their golf swing starting from day one with this training. And that's going to help. What we want that player to feel is we want them to feel like they're stepping on the first tee. They're not doing anything differently than they did before. And they're swinging five miles an hour, six miles an hour faster. Okay. That's what we want. We want them to feel like they're moving faster or, or we want them to be moving faster without feeling like they're doing anything different. And that, that, that's really the, I think one of the magical pieces of this training is that's really what happens. Yeah. A lot of it, I suppose, is, is the awareness and the intention as well. Uh, I heard Dave Phillips talk the other day and he said that Rafael Cabrera-Bello went to the facility and he said he wants to gain more speed. And, he, and Dave said, have you ever thought about swinging faster? And it was like, well, just that having that intention in, in terms of just trying to make that more athletic, that can just change the whole game just by having, a, I suppose, a switching mindset is really. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the psychological element of going through this training and actually having the goal of making this thing move as fast as you can, I think it helps players unlock a lot of potential that they've repressed in many ways, whether it was through trying to work on mechanics or just what they thought they should be doing, whatever it is. We're, we're really just trying to break through those barriers and, and prove to them that they can be athletic with their golf swing and really let it move. And that actually is a a, a situation that'll promote more consistency and actually more repeatability down the road than trying to be too controlled with their swing. And I think that's a really good point as well, because we hear it as coaches all the time. Oh, if, I, if I can just slow my swing down, I can hit more fairways. And if I can just, they look at the tour pros and go, look how smooth they are. Look how slow they're swinging and rhythmical, but we know that that's not the case. So they've conditioned their brain to think that slower is better and more consistent when actually, I mean, just on that, what have you found from the from the, the things like the dispersion from going faster? Have you seen much of a difference? No, I, you know, ahead, I, I, I like to put it this way, and, and I think this is important. And I'll let Kyle talk about this too, because I think there's some some good pieces in there. But um, you know, our system will help players increase their swing speed. It's not a one-stop shop for every piece of golf coaching that is out there in the world. And there's other things that you should be doing as well alongside this training to make sure that you're maxing out your skills. So the way I put it is this. I mean, if you've got a player that let's say that their skill on face control, ball control, their skill level on that's only a three out of 10. If they go through this training and they gain 5% swing speed, they're still only going to be a three out of 10 in face control and ball control. So it's not going to just magically improve that. However, if you have a player like a tour player that's a nine and a half or a 10 out of 10 on face control and ball control and can really, can, you know, has a lot of fine motor control and their ability to do that, we don't see any degradation in that after doing this training. So I, I think those are the really big points on it is that it's not going to make your control worse. It's just also not necessarily going to make it better right away. So you need to probably be working on some good ball control and face control drills at the same time. I mean, every player I've ever coached has always had a ball control protocol program going alongside whatever we're working on, because it's always important to be developing those skills that help us play this game, you know, regardless of what we're trying to improve in our swing. Sure. Carl, did you have something to add to that as well? I think you were going to say Yeah, something. we may have talked about this before, but uh, there's the... The gentleman who's in the USA now, but he was a, a coach from England, Stephen Buzza, if you guys remember him or not. But he did his, uh, I think, master's dissertation on some kind of uh, cueing to his players as to what happens if they try to hit a normal shot. What happens if this is a tee shot? What happens if they try to hit a normal swing? What happens if they try to just max it out as much as they can? And what happens if they try to hit the fairway? And it's fairly interesting to see what external cues do to someone's dispersion, accuracy, um, impact location, that type of thing. And he basically found if the person tried to hit the fairway, they would hit the fairway sometimes, but they would automatically get shorter. And if the person tried to hit it as far as they could, their dispersion really didn't go down at all, if not got better, and they always hit it longer. So this is the day and age of stats. You have all the statisticians and analytics out there now showing, you know, that if you can keep it out of hazards and fairly well, you know, in play and hit it farther, generally that's going to increase your ability to score, get closer to the pin, closer proximity, more birdie putts, that type of thing. So we're not saying that it's that way for everyone, but fairly clear out there now that you know, just trying to hit it straight or slow it down, you, you will potentially hit it straighter and you definitely hit it shorter. And that might not be the best thing for your score.
Oh, I'd go as far as to say that's for everybody. I mean, <laughs> trying to get on the tee and control it down the fairway is an absolute recipe for disaster in your golf game. And we're really showing and proving that the other side of that, of being on the tee and being as athletic as you possibly can and just letting yourself go with it is really the path to success for this. And honestly, like if you look at guys that are playing on Sunday afternoon on the PGA Tour, they're not stepping on the tee and bunting it down the fairway. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're stepping on the tee and ripping it. Yeah. There's definitely a mindset shift in that. We had Patrick Harrington on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about the fact that he played with um, – he actually mentioned the fact Tim Clark, not a long hitter, but he would often be a long way down certain holes that were tighter, especially because he'd always hit driver. He's always going for the driver. He talked about playing the first round with DJ when DJ was just first on the tour and at Sawgrass and DJ's pulling out an iron, you know, and, 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 and Harrington's laughing, going, what's he, what's he pulling out an iron? And Harrington's hitting it 50 yards further than because he's eating a drive off the tee. But now, obviously, and this brings us a little bit to the performance side as well, you look at people like, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, obviously, we know what he's been doing. I think everyone's been speaking about him for the last 12 months. Even Rory McIlroy, I know these guys are all using super speed. They're right at the top end anyway on distance, but it shows how important to them that they are looking for more distance. What, what is the brief behind, I know you perhaps maybe not know, don't know everything about it, but what is the brief behind them wanting to be even longer? What the best? I mean, it's, it's really simple. It's yeah. all just math. Like, yeah regardless of if you hit it 320 off the tee or if you hit it 260 one way or another you would rather be hitting some kind of wedge into the green than anything else and if you can hit it 340 instead of 320 that's more opportunity to hit wedges into the green that's more opportunities to hit a two iron off the tee and still have a wedge into the green i mean there's really just no downside like the high, look, I mean, we've worked with some long drive professionals and gotten to the point with the guys that are at 150 mile an hour swing speed. And, you know, it's possible that you could make a mathematical argument based on spin rate and just available equipment that once you get up around that 150 mile an hour um, swing speed range, that you're going to start to have some diminishing returns on getting any faster because it's just, there's no equipment that fits you. But up until that, like, you know, the closer you can get to the green, the better you're going to score. I mean, that's as simple as you can put it. Yeah. And you are seeing that now, aren't you? You're seeing that these guys and, uh, you know, it, it makes sense. And for amateur golfers as well, you look, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think it's just a huge thing for them to be able to have it. And, you know, if they can improve that baseline, like you say, even if it's really tight, the hole will get you two iron outs or get you three wood outs or your hybrid outs. You're still going to be better off. Yeah, yeah. look. Golf coaching has become more fun, right? Yeah. Like working on your golf game has become more fun. It used to be that, you know, we had to go to this golf lesson and we had to sit there and hit quarter swing shots for like an hour trying to like manipulate the face and do all this. And now like, it's like, look, we're allowed to be athletes out there on the golf course, getting on the tee, learning how to rip it and getting down there and hitting a wedge into the green. I mean, I don't know. I I'm, I'm a fan of the new modern age of golf. Cause I think it's a lot more fun than trying to get out there and be super controlled all the time. Do you know, we've never played golf with Mike, but I really want to play golf with you because I'm pretty sure you're going to be happy Gilmoring off the first tee. <laughs> hey, you mentioned Padraig Harrington, man. He's the king of the happy Gilmore swing. Yeah. I wish he would actually have ever done it in a tour event, but I mean, I think he's actually, and he might even tell you this, he's as accurate or more accurate using a happy Gilmore swing off of a tee than he is hitting his normal golf swing. For whatever reason, he's just never been able to break through that hump of actually doing it on a tour event. 
Yeah. Cheers. That's what, can you imagine how much Mike presses me when we play and how I end up winning all the money at the end? <laughs> hey. <laughs> Even in mini golf. You've gotten me in mini golf a few times. That's <laughs> Hi everyone, Andy here. Just letting you know about something that we've created just for you. MeAndMyGolf.com is our membership platform that we believe is the best resource out there to improve your golf. And one of the questions that we get asked all the time is what's the difference between YouTube and the website? And the main difference being is that sometimes people can get lost in content on YouTube and not really having a clear structure or plan of where to go. So we wanted to create something that was, was really going to help golfers. We've got over a thousand uh, coaching videos on there, but our main thing or main feature on there are the coaching plans and we've seen some amazing results from these plans and these are basically carefully designed plans on all areas of the game so you don't have to think or worry about what to do we tell you exactly what to practice each week and whether you're looking to break a certain score fix a slice improve your putting or short game we have a plan that will suit you we're even staggered at some of the results that golfers are getting from these as well and we even have a private Facebook group where all of our members go and share experiences and support each other. Real nice place, positive place to be. And we'd love to see you over there and have the chance to help you with your game so make sure you head over to meandmygolf.com and check out your free trial with no obligations to join. Check it out and see if you can find a plan and become a part of this amazing community. So... Obviously, our last, our last podcast that we did, guys, in 2018 at the, the World Golf Fitness Summit, what's changed since then? Because obviously you guys have, you know, thousands of people are using this now and, you know, I'm sure you're learning constantly. What's changed in the last two and a half years? Mike, how about I I'll talk about one and then I'll have you introduce maybe the C-Club stuff. Sure. I, uh, just to piggyback kind of what you talked about previously too, I think we're getting, we're getting more players that are interested in speed and power that's the biggest thing and and we're getting players that are already really fast that now want to get faster like you said so obviously there's tons of amateurs listening to this and that's a, a huge percentage of it and everyone can benefit but the, the the advantage of speed and power seems to have never been in the forefront as much as it is now and the the bryson effect is real and it's real on every level of golf so we've kind of never seen such a focus on this and you know, it's just kind of right into what we've been doing for so long, um, people realizing the benefits. So I think that's the biggest thing in two and a half years. And then we've had a little bit of a, a new launch of a club that Mike can talk about. Yeah, I, I want to add to that too, just a little bit. You know, one of the goals that we had originally for Super Speed was to do more than just to create another swing training device. And, and I think we've started to see that happen is that now you actually have players that talk about their swing mechanics program that they're working on. And then they talk about their speed program that they're working on. And it's almost like it's a new category. It's like they have their fitness program. They've got their coaching program. They've got their speed program. And, you know, that's one of the things I think we're, we're pretty proud about is that we, we actually have seen players create that new module, a new category of, of area that they work on, 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 in just their overall program. And that's really cool. Um, like Kyle said, we also um, introduced our, our Super Speed C training club, which is a counterweighted version of a Super Speed club. Um, yeah, really kind of a cool piece there. It's an add-on, if you will, to the system. It can work independently as well. But we really created it to add on to the, the Super Speed set, mainly because our research showed that the normal overspeed training set, we were getting the biggest gains out of improvement in the way a player used their lower body and then like the core of their body. 
And I mean, big improvements there. I mean, seeing like 15 to 20% improvements in efficiency in how they're using their lower body and their, and their torso. And we would still see about a four to 6% uh, you know, increase in efficiency in the way that player used their hands and arms. We always thought there was more to gain there. There was, there was more of this neurological piece that we could put into the hand and arm training uh, that, that we, were getting, we weren't getting as much effect as we wanted. So we did that by counterweighting a super speed club so that we get this hugely specific overspeed training effect right around impact and right around release of the club. And then we were able to start to see matching gains um, in the biomechanics with the hand and arm speeds. So uh, yeah, Super Speed C is pretty cool. It's a single club. It has three of its own protocols. Those protocols really focus a lot on hand and arm speed for the player. So we've seen some of our players too that have been using Super Speed for three and four years get an additional four to six percent gain by adding on the Super Speed C. So that, that's been another cool part of the training. Pretty nice. We were um, just a story about this as well. We were at uh, we're in San Diego probably about eighteen months, maybe two years ago. And we went to a golf club, Grand, uh, Grand Del Mar Golf Club in San Diego. And uh, we drove on the car park and uh, we looked to the right and there's this nice Aston Martin car there. I'm, I'm sure I recognize him. And Phil Mickelson is there on the car park, gets his super speeds out and starts swinging them away on the car park. And then he, we had a chat with him and he was, it was great. But yeah, he's there swinging away. He was late, but the first thing he got out of the car with his super speeds and he's whacking away on the car park. He's famous yeah, for the parking lot swings. Yep. Say that again, Carl, sorry? I said he's famous for the parking lot swings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, it's nice thing. You can do super speed anywhere. <laughs> okay, so um, quick question then on this then, guys. How can golfers get this, um, get this wrong and not improve? You know, the biggest way that people get this wrong is that they don't get outside of the box a little bit and let themselves be athletic. Like, and I'd say... Nine out of 10 of the people that call us, and it's not that many, but nine out of 10 of the people that call us and say, you know, I've been doing this for a few weeks. I haven't really seen a gain. And we'll be like, well, send us a little video clip of your swing and we'll see this nice, smooth, little delicate swing going on on the video. And we're like, yeah, you're not doing this right. Like, mm -hmm. the, you know, they get through the training and they're not even out of breath. I mean, you know how tired you're supposed to be when you get done with that five minute protocol. Like, it's like you just did a sprint interval for, for five minutes. Like, you got to get after it. So that's the number one is just people, people being too careful and not just kind of letting loose. And, you know, that's why our motto since day one has been unleash your speed. Like you got to get out there and just really let it rip. It's interesting that I remember the first time we kind of spoke about this and we were talking about the training and Carl was telling us about how aggressive that you get with Pete, with the tour players on the range with it, when they're swinging, shouting at them and like a drill instructor yeah. almost. Yeah, the, uh, the the poor girls on the LPGA tour, they get so embarrassed when it's like they've invited us out there to help them with it. And then they're almost sorry that they did because they're <laughs> sitting there screaming at them on the tee and everyone's looking at them. And yeah, it, it does does happen a little bit uh, out there. But I mean, it's important. Like, again, we're, we're trying to help people be more athletic in their golf swing. And I think a lot of players, especially high level players, are so programmed in, in some ways they're, they're programmed into, I got to get this ball in the, in the fairway. And what they don't, what they find is that once they break through that athleticism, they're still getting the ball right in the same spot in the fairway, just going 20 yards further down there. So yeah, that's a big piece of speed training is again, like we talked about earlier, that psychological element of just letting it rip. I think we need to see a, a, a female player, like really do something more like Bryson to have 
maybe the females take to it as much. It, it's it's coming out there. Like there's a significant advantage. I just don't think. I mean, maybe the Corda sisters. I think y'all hit it pretty far. Area Jutanagarn. Like they're they're coming. The collegiate players, but you don't have that figure like a Bryson or Rory that. No. I mean, it, you can tell they're being aggressive through the shot. It doesn't look necessarily smooth. Doesn't look pretty all the time, but you can tell there's an aggressive amount of speed yeah. happening. We've worked with some up and coming players that have 160, 165 mile an hour ball speed that'll be on the LPGA tour soon. And I mean, I'm telling you, like once we, once you, once that floodgate opens out there, I mean, you're looking at playing golf courses that are a good thousand yards shorter than what's on the PGA tour. (laughs) You have a player out there that's hitting at 320. I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be like a demolition course. Like they're just going to take these golf courses apart. And I mean, it is coming. I would say that within the next five years, you're going to see a few players out on the LPGA tour that will be hitting the ball 300 plus off the tee. So that's going to be a pretty yeah. thing. I think, I think yeah. Andy's going to say exactly the same story. We're just saying we, we played with, we did some work with Maria Fassi and then we played golf go. with her at, um, uh, where was it? Iowa. Iowa. And it was, uh, I mean, she was, she, she's athletic. I mean, she's an athlete. She's a soccer player. She's real strong. A, a golf swing is incredible, but we played golf with her and she was like, I think we should 109 up to on the mm-hmm. head speed. So she was putting it out there. And we, we were like, this girl, if she can, if she can pitch and put and, and get it round, like she's going to be hard to beat. And I'm sure she will be because she's a, uh, she's very yeah. switched on and she's got a good when mindset, but yeah. I think she's got to be one to watch when she figures it out. Yeah. But she's just yeah, absolutely, I mean, it's, it. you know, it's a, it's a huge advantage obviously on the PGA tour, but the difference of that on the LPGA tour right now, like, it would be just, it would be like, you know, Tiger coming out in the late nineties and just like winning by 10 shots all the time. Like it's going to be that type of things coming in the next five years, I would say on the LPGA. Let's get into the training on this a little bit, guys. I know we've hit on a few things, but so I suppose the question is how important is the technique of the golf movements? Let's call it that when you're doing super speed, especially when it comes to the non-dominant swings. So how important is the technique? And then what about if you're doing swing changes? Let's say you're, you're trying to get rid of an over the top. And we probably know, Mike, you would definitely know this as a coach that you don't put a club head and you don't put a ball there. They're probably not going to be over the top. But when you're working at movements, new movements in your swing, or you've got existing movements, how important is it to keep those movements solid? So, I mean, obviously it depends. I think it would be a different story if it was a player that was like a tour level player that's trying to make a significant change versus somebody that's kind of just starting out. But I like to, uh, I like to look at this as a concept that we, we talk about a lot called reverse engineered coaching. And that's that, um, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with the golf swing, the end justifies the means a little bit. Um, and what I say by that is like, if you're able to increase swing speed by five miles an hour, just as an example, something during the course of your swing had to become more efficient in order to make that club move that much faster. So it, it's not just by accident or random that it would do that. So we, we don't really claim that super speed, you know, helps people with over the top or helps people with specific mechanics, but we certainly do see that efficiency overall increases the, the, the efficiency of the mechanics of the golf swing as well. So, and the way I would put that is this, like if somebody doesn't use the ground well, let's say it's a player that, that doesn't use the ground well at all, doesn't create really good uh, reaction forces that are helping their swing, the drills and such that we're doing in our super speed training are gonna help that player use the ground better. 
And as a result of using the ground better, there's a good likelihood that that's going to positively impact the rotational sequencing of the golf swing. Because now if those forces are helping that player rotate efficiently versus hurting them, you're going to see an efficiency boost there. And generally speaking, if you get the player's body moving more efficiently, the way their hands and arms are working also tend to create better downswing loading and lag of the golf club. So it's all related. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would just say that you will see, depending on where you're starting, depending on the deficiencies that you have, you will probably see some increases in efficiency when you become more athletic and efficient with the way you're moving the club. Now, on the same side, I think it's also very important for every player um, to also be working on the different types of mechanical drills that are going to be positive for their swing. And I think you should do all of that simultaneously. You know, it's really important when you're working on a swing change to make sure that you're working on that swings change at performance speed that you're going to use on the golf course. Because yeah. again, you can work on, you know, some type of technique piece with quarter swings forever and you get on the first tee and it's gone. It's because you're using a completely different motor program when you're working on it than when you're on the first tee. It's crazy. Yeah. So like, I, I think it's really important that when you add speed into your overall pr- training regimen, that you don't stop doing everything else that you're doing. Now to hit your point about the non-dominant swings, again, the non-dominant swings are more of like a body prep type of tool. Like they're going to help the, they're going to help with muscle activation, motor unit recruitment in the non-dominant side of that player's body, which in turn allows for a more efficient movement on the dominant side. So that's really where it helps with, with that stuff. But again, you got a player that just has no ability to like lead with the lower body or lead with the hips and the downswing, right? I actually think that a lot of those players tend to be able to start to lead with the lower body and their non-dominant side easier because it's a less ingrained motor program that they're dealing with. So they can kind of learn the concept, even though it's completely different than their normal golf swing, they learn what that concept feels like on the non-dominant side that sometimes is able to help them get it, you know, a little bit faster on the dominant side. So, you know, again, that's, that's some of the high points on the mechanic side, I would say. You know what? It's, it's really interesting that you, you talk about, look, some of the moves that we do. So you guys call it the step change of direction. We call it the thunder step. You know, that is obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I know this is a podcast, but literally hands past your legs and you step with your lead leg toward the target. So that lower body's firing first, as you say, everything's opening out. So there's a load of good stuff in just doing that drill, which can help you with your golf swing. Look, every single drill that we have in our protocols is there for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. And all of them are there to increase what we call the speed pyramid, which is the mechanical, you know, uh, influence of, of speed and power, which is going to look at how a player uses the ground and interacts with the turf to create reaction forces that are therefore going to cause the body to rotate and create rotational sequencing and how that rotational speed is going to get transferred out through the arms and hands to the club and eventually applied to the golf ball. So again, that sounds really complicated and I would never tell a player that, but what we tell the player is do this move, make it move as fast as you can. And they're working on all kinds of different things that they never knew they even needed to work on, which is great. And they're just out there making it happen. And, you know, as a coach, again, I feel like as a coach, you get to different levels of expertise with coaching and the best coaches out there are the ones that tend to talk the least and they tell one thing that they get that player start to work on that helps them work on a myriad of different things yeah. that that player never even necessarily knew was wrong with their swing. 
Because if you can get someone to get better and you never had to tell them that they were broken in the first place, I mean, that's like gold standard of coaching, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sure. So what happens then, guys, if um, if people stop doing the training, should we should they expect to see that their baseline speed drops? What can we expect to see if they if they've been doing it and, and then they just stop? Yeah, so we had mentioned the kind of the, the peaks and the plateaus. Typically, if you can get to some of those plateau stages, you won't see as much of a drop off, if any, it kind of just depends on the player. Um, so after the first six weeks is the one we would definitely want to get you to. But if you can get through the first two protocols, typically then you can cover there a lot better. Um, some players will just do more of like a maintenance to like to keep it in there and, and just stay there. So maybe it's just once a week or a much more limited training than the three times a week. Um, the other thing is, if it drops off, you'll notice if you want to get it back up, it'll get back up very quickly again. Uh, so if you've already reached a speed, it's much easier to get back to that speed than get over to a brand new speed. And I think the things that you'll see that will really drop it off is if you have an injury or something else that happens, then it's going to be a little bit harder because the motor pattern might have changed or you're avoiding pain now to try to make more speed. So get through the second protocol and you're pretty good. And then for that player, if it does drop off, you can get right back into it very quickly. Brilliant. Yeah, that's good. good. That's good. Okay, guys, um, we have some quick fire questions. Now, these happen earlier and earlier in the podcast because they're never quick fire. <laughs> we, they, never, they, they never go through it uh, that quickly. But anyway, here we go. So first question, what does golf look like in 20 years? Wow. That's we ask this question one. a lot, and I think this is very relative to you guys <laughs> with what's going on. Yeah, I mean. This is the both, I, I, by the way. I think golf is, as it already is, it's becoming more of that, you know, go-to sport for a lot of great athletes. So I, I think you will see a continuation of, you know, great players that could be great baseball players or great football players or basketball players or whatever it is. I think we'll have more of that population of really high-level athletes going into the golf game as, as a sport um, on the professional level. I think you know, I, I see it becoming a much more fun thing for kids to do. There's so many more outlets for that than there used to be. So, I mean, I'm a big positive outlook kind of person on, on way golf is going. I think the trend is definitely going in the right direction in the industry, just about in every way. I also see the, the tech continuing what's happening, you know, the app-based coaching or, you know, using things to actually measure and analyze what you have. I mean, we're well, a lot of times golf is leading the way in this. You're seeing, you know, baseball trying to catch up. They're 10 years behind with using all the, the stuff we're using with launch monitors and things like that. And it's becoming more and more accessible for you know, just the regular amateur player versus, you know, it used to be just the high level coaches purchasing these launch monitors and things like that. So, you know, that's happened so rapidly in 20 years. That's, I can't see that going the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, it makes total sense. Funniest experience when dealing with a player. With super speed, I've got a good one. Um, hopefully he's listening. Um, we had a video of a guy doing super speed, you know, in his living room. And like, just, it, it was like this situation. I see this video and he's like right next to his TV and he's like aiming at his kitchen and his cat's over there on the other end of the room, you know, watching it. And yeah, I mean, just watching that, just, just looking at it from the start, I'm like, Oh man, like that, that takes some, that takes some guts to set that situation up and do super speed in that apartment. Uh, you know what? Yeah. No, there was no, there was no accidents though, was there? I don't think so. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we're going strong there. Love I it. think 
I, can mine be an experience while I was working with a player about myself? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I've only told this one other time, but uh, maybe three years ago, uh, Bay Hill, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, uh, was working with Scott Stallings in the morning out there. He wanted to meet with me, been trying, woke up. I'm like, oh, I don't feel so good. Oh, no. Pushed through it, made it there, barely got through the session and bad food poisoning right as I got out of the gate, completely you know, vomited everywhere, <laughs> holding all my super speed gear. I made it through the session, but I almost did it across the putting green. And you guys know Bay Hill has the golf channel set up right there right, behind yeah. everything. So, <laughs> nice. I made it through. Scott was happy, but I shouldn't have gone. Oh, wow. No, I just got a call. For, I got a call from Kyle from the bathroom floor later that afternoon. He told me that story and I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> We're committed to what we do. I love it. I love it. What would you change in golf? Oh, wow. You. Have you got one inch? You know, my, my, look, I, I think the overall, I, and I, I think this trend is going this direction, but it's just making it accessible to everyone. I just think that, you know, for too long, golf was, it, it was, it was trying to only appeal to a certain niche of the population. Yeah. And I just feel like it's such a great game. And I think, I think allowing more access, you know, overall in the industry and, and having it be something that just has become more cool to, to go play golf as opposed to, oh, yeah, we would never do that type of a thing. And I think the trend is in the right direction on that, but that's the one I would change overall. Yeah. Mine would be a personal one for me. I'm a, I'm a left-handed player and we're getting there, but we're still heavily discriminated against compared to the right-handed player. <laughs> And I can't tell you growing up how hard it was to get clubs and get fit. And it's getting there, but you know, a lot of clubs are not made left-handed. And I just, I would love to see, you know, have all the options that right-handed players have. Just Maybe because you know, right-handed swings you've done with super speed though. Surely you can play right-handed now. <laughs> I, I can, yes. I, I'm pretty good right-handed, but I don't think I'll ever have the speed I have left-handed. So Make it Maybe easy. Just get rid of all the left-handers. Yeah. That would be a lot <laughs> easier. Yeah, too. You just can't only play one way. Exactly. Brilliant. Guys, hey, look, look, again, this has been brilliant. Thank you. But we've got some more things we want to go through here. So we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast in the intro about the, the exciting opportunity we have. So I think this has definitely wet the whistle of anybody who's looking to get more speed. You know, they've seen Bryson do this. They're seeing everybody else, you know, Rory, DJ doing super speed as well now. So obviously I've done level one. Andy can't do it just yet because he's still recovering from a wrist injury. But obviously the... This podcast is going out now 10 days from this podcast. We want to see if we can get as many people on social media involved in doing the level two or one, whatever stage they're at, if they're at already, or level one training for the first time with me. So I'm going to be doing my training starting from the 1st of March. So what we're going to do is we're going to offer a discount. I think you guys are very kindly offered a discount. We'll go through that in a moment. But obviously it's a six-week program. I'm going to be documenting everything on social media. What we want is anyone listening to this who gets involved from the 1st of March to document all of their training they do or whatever training they want. And they're going to pick the top three trainers of Superspeed on social. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out how to pick those top three based on how inventive they are doing the training. And then we're going to put it up to vote to see who could win a prize. Now, from our side, we just feel that these guys and girls are going to hit the ball that much further. They're going to have a lot more birdie putts. So they need a good birdie, a, a good birdie putter. They need a good putter. So we're going to put up the new latest tailor-made putter. But I think you guys are going to add something to it as well. 
Yes, we are. We're going to do a one of the new uh, Super Speed C counterweight clubs. And then we're also going to throw in uh, some stuff for the second and third person. We got some Super Speed head covers, water bottles, uh, Stability Pro for your knees, for the kneeling swing. So we'll make sure all three get some get some good goods That's from great. the Super Speed team. I'm a little jealous. I really want to do it now. Now, now I'm hyped up, ready to go. But I'm going to wait until <laughs> it gets a little warmer. And then as soon as probably April, May gets here, I'm on. You can look out for it. As, no as he said, hyped up. He's not hyped up. He's scared. That's what it is. He's scared. He's going to be too far behind. Too far behind. I'm just scared, scared that he's going to be now like 25 yards behind you instead of only like 10. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And guys, you're very kindly going to put a discount code in as well to anyone listening to this podcast. So guys, what is it, please? Yep. So uh, at checkout, you can enter MMG, me and my golf, MMG, Feb, F-E-B, 2-1. So MMG, FEB, the number two, the number one at checkout. And what does that give them off the uh, off the super speeds? That'll get a 10% discount on any of the uh, products there. Uh, so you can use that, you know, basically all Europe, UK, or uh, Europe, UK, Canada, North America. And then if you need any uh, any assistance in any of the international countries, we can assist with that as well. Lovely. Perfect. That's Thank great. You. Yeah. So obviously 1st of March is kicking off. I'm getting into it. I'm going to get, I got a five, uh, sorry, a three mile per hour gain last time doing level one. So I'm looking to, if I can match that, I'll be very happy. You'll be up to the 100 mile an hour swing speed soon. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, you'll yeah, get it. We'll see, we'll see. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for your time. Awesome, great stuff. No, it's thanks great, Thanks for having us. We love, uh, you know, we love what you guys do. And we love being on here and talking about speed. So thanks a lot for having us. Cheers, guys, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you found some great value in it. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, let us know your feedback by leaving us a rating or review over on iTunes. And remember, if you want to go deeper and really improve your game, head over to meandmygolf.com and start your free trial and check out one of the many plans that are seeing incredible results. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you next week.